As featured in the November 2023 issue of Men's Health magazine, To Catch a Con Man is the very intimate and detailed true story of exposing one of the most prolific and successful serial con men to operate in the Midwest. A career con man who was able to get away with scamming and stealing in and around the suburbs of Chicago for more than 40 years. What's even more interesting is that he had never been arrested in Illinois for running his scams, some that date as far back as the 1980s. If there is a living devil and evil on this earth, it is him. To Catch a Con Man is brought to you by Studio 847 in Long Grove, Illinois. Could a hundred grand sustain my life? It couldn't even come close. So, so listen to me. If I was going to be in some sort of con, scam, conniving thing, it'd be for millions. It wouldn't be for $100,000. Listener discretion is advised, as some of this programming contains language and content that might be offensive to some listeners. Thank you all for taking the time to listen to our true crime podcast to catch a con man. On the last episode, you were provided a ringside seat to experience how far the con man will go to remain free, purposely dictating the pace and using every legal maneuver to sell Lake County his very bad bill of goods. In part one of this last and final episode of Adam's story, five years of dedicated effort is left for one man to decide. It's judgment day for Dugo. We hope you enjoy A Menace to Everyone You Meet. Join me on this adventure to catch a con man. This is Adam Albin. With the trial date set for November 14th, 2022, Assistant District Attorneys Kevin Barrow and Russell Kasky asked me to come into Lake County in mid-October to do some trial preparation. I clear my afternoon and drive to Waukegan and meet the team at the Lake County's State's Attorney's Office. I am greeted by Kevin and the young buck, Russell Kasky. Both are well-dressed in suits and skinny ties and looking like most prosecutors of the day. This is the first time I am meeting Russell Kasky in person. He had sat in on a few of the Zoom meetings where we were reviewing the case this past year. Kevin mentions to me that they both will be prosecuting the Ricky Dugo case. I shake his hand and thank him for his service and mention to him that I look forward to working with him. The purpose of today's in-person meeting will be trial preparation, where Kevin and the team will be reviewing how they think the testimony and questions will flow. They start off by asking me to retell the account and remind me that I will not be allowed to have my detailed notes on me when I take the stand. I will need to memorize each date and time and detail and hard code that into my brain. I tell them that for the actual opportunity and transactions with Dugo, I do not see that being an issue. I press the team and ask if that will be the same for the 250-plus text messages we had that went back and forth. I ask the team if we could go over those text messages. 
You know, the text messages I had downloaded back in early June of 2018. Kevin looks a bit off. He says, We do not have your text messages, Adam. They weren't in the evidence file, so they were omitted from discovery. I stop Kevin and say, What? What do you mean? Obviously, the text message download from my phone to Lake County's database server was well before his time on this case. But still, I was like, what do you mean you do not have my text messages? I said that this is the meat and the potatoes of this case. I mean, I still have the text messages. Do you want them? Kevin looks at me surprised. He says, you still have them? I said, of course I still have them. I said, if I can get you these text messages, will you be able to add them into discovery as an additional item this late in the game? He said he thought he could make the case, since they did show a record of the case file that the transfer had happened. But someone, somewhere along the way, misfiled them or something, and the entire text string was not included to the defense, nor did the prosecution have it. Now, I tell them I am not going through the whole process of uninstalling the MDM on my phone and then spending hours downloading it. I offered this solution. I had a refurbished iPhone 6S that was a backup phone. I could back my current phone up, and then load up the same Apple ID on the older Apple iPhone 6S and apply the last backup to the old phone, and the message string should replicate and mirror what was on my current iPhone. I said, when I get home, I will try just that, and if I can isolate just those iMessages, I will gladly hand you that older iPhone 6S with all of the unlock credentials to submit into evidence so that you have the string and the phone in case you run into any issues. They agreed and said that that would work. I remember thinking, man, that was close. Like, what if I never bring that back up? Or what if I do not have this pre-trial prep meeting in general? I asked Kevin, do you happen to have the overhear, as in the wiretap conversation from August 21st of 2018? He looks at me smugly. I think he knew I was being a little sarcastic, as he says, glad you brought that up and he presses the disk drive button on his laptop, and he ejects what looks to be a blank CD. He says, I don't think you have ever had the chance to listen to this, have you? My eyes light up. I replied that I have been asking to hear the parking lot recorded conversation for over four years. He says that they will be going over the entire conversation. And this will be my only opportunity to get to listen to it before the trial. Kevin asked me to look at the disc, 
and tells me that on the day of trial, he will ask me if I recognize this disc, which is marked with a case number and I believe an evidence file number. He will ask me to sign the disc with a marker to say that I recognize this to be the overhear recording from August 21st, 2018. I tell him that I understand, and in my head I'm just like, can you play it already? He pushed the CD tray back into the laptop and hits play. I close my eyes, and I am taken back to that late summer evening in August of 2018. I remember how it all played back, like Rick was right there in front of me. How he is pressing me to tell him who told me he was there at Lifetime Fitness. How he was hanging on to that piece of the conversation. And you can hear his frustration when I say that I'm not getting into that, Rick. It isn't what's important. He wasn't that hard to find. Many people know where you are at any given time. I hear him escalate the conversation, saying how I seem confused, and he wants to take me around the back of lifetime and unconfuse me. As he is saying this, I am looking at his veins in his arms, knowing full well the dude was full-on roid raging and could very well have an aneurysm if he didn't calm the fuck down. I can literally feel each word that is coming through the conference room speakers. I remember now that the conversation seemed like it went on for hours, only to learn it was a whopping 17 minutes or so. Mind you, this is the first time anyone at the Lake County State's Attorney's Office has ever let me know with 100% certainty that this over here actually worked. Remember, I was nervous thinking I may have accidentally turned off the recording device or screwed it up somehow. Kevin ejects that disc and he asked me to look at a second CD which he mentions this one contains the phone call that happened a few minutes after we got back to the juvenile center in 2018. Again, this is the first time hearing that follow-up call. This is the one where Rick acknowledges he has 18000 in change and he will just call it $19,000 and start to pay me back $1,000 each month starting on September 10th and every 10th of each month thereafter until his debt to me is satisfied. I close my eyes and take it all in, listening intently for those very few minutes. Kevin stops the recording and says, Wow, Adam, I have to say, you did a really good job during those overhears. You stood your ground, and you did what you needed to do, and got Dugo to admit he had your money. Kevin said, while he thought that was very strong evidence, nothing was ever guaranteed. 
in that moment, I had this sense of pride that came over me. I always questioned that conversation. Had I done enough? Had I gotten Dugo to say clearly that he had my money? Did he promise to pay the money back? All of those answers were played out. He had. And it would prove to be hard for him to wiggle out of. I explained to Kevin that I will be prepared for all of his questions. I will memorize my testimony, which he mentions should take about two hours to get through and then about another hour on cross-examination. I was thinking about what I had seen on TV and in the movies when witnesses come under cross-examination. I said to Russell and Kevin, the defense is going to come after me and say this is a bad business deal and that this should have never been charged in the criminal courts as it was a business transaction and that's a civil matter. I go on to say, I bet they come after me for trying to make a profit on this deal. And then they will ask me if I paid taxes on my profits for my side hustle, which admittedly I had not. Kevin and the team try to give me every question they think the defense would ask me. And I do my best to answer concisely and honestly to practice what we think will be coming. They let me know that it will be stressful under cross-examination. They may attack my character, and they may try to make me out to be the bad guy and position Ricky Dugo as the victim in all of this. They advise me to keep my answers to yes or no and to only elaborate or provide color if asked to. They finish by telling me I need to let both the prosecution and defense ask their questions in full and not to jump the gun by interrupting and answering before they are done asking their questions. I left that meeting feeling really positive about the trial that was coming up. The case against Ricky Dugo and specific to his crimes against me was the case that had the most evidence. Lake County felt like this was the easiest one to prove since I had kept every shred of evidence between Ricky Dugo and I. That felt pretty good, knowing they were entrusting me with going first and allowing me to face him and have my time in court. That has always been my goal. I went home and loaded up that older iPhone 6S with the Ricky Dugo texturing, and I called Detective Thies to let him know that it was ready, and we decided we would meet tomorrow afternoon at the Costco Meadowa parking lot. We met there, and I handed him over the phone. He sealed it in an evidence bag and had me sign a form stating he was taking the phone into his custody. I told Tony that I did not need the phone back anytime soon, so he didn't have to worry about getting it back to me until well after the upcoming trial. (laughs) 
On November 2nd, 2022, I received verification that the phone was given to the lab and that the lab had successfully downloaded all messages. The lab provided the prosecution with the text messages via email attachments, and then the prosecution added them into discovery as an additional item and tendered them to the defense without any objection or issue. On November 3rd, I received an email from Kevin Barrell that they had learned that Judge Lombardo was essentially double-booked with trials on the November 14th, 2022 trial date. He goes on to say that both sides will address this with him in person on Monday, November 7th, 2022. Our case was bumped to a later date because Judge Lombardo was presiding over a week-long trial, a jury trial in which the defendant was in custody and facing a possible life sentence in prison. Obviously, that case should have priority, so I reply, thank you for letting me know, and let me know when the next available date is. Kevin emails me after his November 7th meeting. The trial will now start on December 12th, 2022. As the date gets closer, I am just waiting for an email to pop up telling me that there has been yet another delay. On November 30th, Kevin sends me an email stating WBBM-TV CBS 2 Chicago has filed for a request for extended media coverage in the case of The People versus Ricky Dugo, 21 CF 369. Ah, my good old pals Dorothy Tucker and her amazing producer Carol Thompson come through again. I mean, this couldn't have been scripted any better. Kevin mentions to me that this is a very unique request, one that Lake County almost never gets in regards to anything other than capital crimes. I respond that I am all good with CBS2 being in the courtroom and taking pictures of me, as that doesn't change the truth. Kevin replies, Thank you for your response. One of the defendant's attorneys, Russ and I, touched base with the judge this afternoon, and he indicated that he will be allowing still photos to be taken in the courtroom, but nothing beyond that. No audio or video recording allowed. To the extent any particular witness objects, he indicated he will exclude that person from being photographed in the courtroom. And for what it was worth, we as prosecutors do not object to any requests for extended media coverage. Kevin's email goes on. In terms of dates, as of now, we are still scheduled to begin the trial the morning of December 12, 2022. The judge stated that he is not available the rest of that week. There is no getting around this. There is a scheduling issue for the entire courthouse due to some turnover of judges that is occurring this December. Uh, 
He said that after the first day of trial on December 12th, 2022, we would continue the trial on December 19th, 2022. However, late this afternoon, one of the defendant's attorneys said he will not be available on December 19th, 2022. So the date that the trial will actually conclude is a bit up in the air in the moment. As soon as we learn anything more, we will let you know. Regardless, we plan on calling you as a witness on Monday, December 12th, of 2022. Wait, wait, did he just say the trial will start on December 12th? And then we do not know when it will continue? I've never heard of such a thing. And I again uh, start to stress out and fire off one of the Adam is getting mad emails and ask a plethora of questions back. I sent him this. So much for wishing for no speed bumps, Kevin. I'm not understanding why we would want to start a trial that has no way to be run continuous and or run consecutively. This is not something that is done often. I'm getting the sense that this case isn't a huge priority to be heard. Double booking last month. One day here, a to be determined delay to continue, that seems like a long time to wait for the defense to take their swings and for this just to be hanging in the air. How did the judge not know about the turnover three weeks ago when he moved this to December 12th? Additionally, doesn't Dugo have two attorneys? You have two holidays shortly thereafter. Is there any way to firm up when that next date is. All I have to do is look at my calendar and commit. But hey, that's just me. Sorry if this comes off once again as sardonic, but you just can't make this stuff up. As this gets closer, it gets further away. And my level of stress and appetite for further delays really weighs heavy. So that was it. The trial date was set. The motion for extended media coverage was approved for photography and note-taking. We had a start date, and after the first day of trial, the judge and both sides would come together to find the first available date to pick the case back up. During the week leading up to December 12th, 2022, I reviewed all of my notes and my timeline. I memorized each and every detail, and I asked my wife to quiz me like when we were kids and you had to prep for a test. I was going to come off as confident and stoic. I was going to be polished and precise. I had mentally prepared myself for this moment for the past four and a half years. I remember I wasn't sleeping well that week, waking up many times in the middle of the night. My brain just wouldn't shut down. The night of December 11th, I remember going to bed 
around 11 p.m. My notes on my nightstand, as I didn't think I would be able to sleep with so much nervous energy that was circling my stomach the night before the trial. But somehow, some way, I was able to let it all go, and I actually fell asleep. I woke up early the next morning, around 5 a.m., and I remembered my dream. In the dream, I was in front of a house that was on a slight hill. I saw my stepfather at the front of the house, and a white snake falls off of the roof and lands next to him, scaring my stepfather so badly that he loses his balance and tumbles head over heels down the slight hill all the way down to the street. The white snake is slithering all about. That is when I woke up. So normally, I would never think twice about a dream, but I happened to tell my wife about the dream. I rarely remember my dreams, and I have never in my life dreamt about a white snake before. While I was shaving and showering and getting my best suit on, she googled it as she was curious to what its hidden meaning meant. I will read you the email she sent me at 6.46 a.m., just minutes before I had to leave to go to the Waukegan Courthouse. White Snake Dream Meaning Having a white snake in your dream should lead you to think about your past. If it has been tough on you, the white snake is sending you a message that the process of healing is starting. Maybe you have lost someone who was close to you, or you are experiencing money loss. For you seeing a white snake in a dream is a very good sign. Have hope and believe in your healing path. Reading the white snake interpretation that my wife had sent to me somehow set me at ease. All of the pressure leading up until today, the last four and a half years, waiting for this one chance to provide my testimony and face Ricky Dugo in a Lake County court. All of that pressure starts to dissipate. This dream is a foreshadowing, and today the catharsis starts to melt away all of the negative emotions that I have been struggling with. By the end of today, I will start the process of healing and find a renewed sense of hope, a renewed sense of belief in myself that will help me to rediscover my own inner peace. My wife packed me up my cooler bag with lunch and some snackies. I made sure to wear my Papa Paul's star sapphire ring, which would give me extra strength for when I needed it, and I knew I would need it. 
She gave me one last hug and kissed me goodbye and said, I am really proud of you, Adam. Now go and tell them your story. I drove my daughter to school and then made my way to the Lake County Courthouse, where I would arrive at least 45 minutes early and find a quiet spot to listen to some music. I would attempt to find my center and gain my focus. I was listening to a lot of old school U2 and looping the song running to a standstill on repeat. I was sitting on the far side of the floor and told the victim's coordinator I needed to use the restroom. As I'm about 10 feet from the restroom door, Ricky Dugo pushes the door open and we are literally face to face. I don't look at him. I just walk right past him. That wouldn't be the only time I saw Dugo today. It's about 9 a.m., and the trial was supposed to start around then. I was escorted into a soundproof conference room that is used for attorney-client meetings, and it is in between the two sets of courthouse double doors. Kevin and Russell pop in, and we review some last-minute items. They mention there is going to be a slight delay, as there are some case management meetings up in front of Judge Lombardo, and then a few motions that both sides will have to respond to. He says to sit tight and go out and walk around if I needed to. We have about 45 minutes until you will be called to the stand. He leaves me and says this to me. You are prepared for this. You are going to do just fine. The strategy for the state of Illinois was to paint the picture of theft and theft by deception by using large swaths of color and testimony provided by myself and three additional acts witnesses, as well as using Detective Tony's active investigation notes and professional observations. Scott, Brad, and my coworker were approved by the judge to be used as those additional acts witnesses. The defense didn't have a single witness on their list that was set to testify. Kevin and Russell have prepped me well, reiterating I should be on the stand for about three hours in total. After I testified, they would break for lunch and then bring on one of the three additional acts witnesses. At the time, I didn't know who was coming on after me. I was walked into the courtroom, flanked by the victim's advocate and one of Lake County's sheriff's officers. I remember seeing Ricky Dugo sitting beside his two high-power attorneys to my left. I walked past Assistant District Attorney Kevin Barrell and Assistant District Attorney Russell Kasky. Up in the galley, where a jury would normally sit, I see Dorothy Tucker and her CBS2 photographer Mike, and I can hear the sound of photos being taken as I get to the witness box. I am asked to raise my right hand and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and I respond, I do. I am instructed to sit. I take a quick look around the courtroom, and there is just the prosecution 
in the defense with Dugo, Dorothy Tucker and her photographer, a court reporter, the victim's advocate, Melissa Burke, a Lake County media liaison, and Judge Lombardo. The reason I am telling you the exact people in this courtroom is because I wanted you to know that no one from Ricky Dugo's family was present. His loyal sister, Renee, not present to support him. His loyal wife, Shannon, not there to support him. In that moment, I took great pride knowing Rick was all by himself, flying solo and without any love and support, trying to beat the rap. It spoke volumes to me. The prosecution started to ask me the basic questions, forming my background, where I lived then and where I live now, what I did for a living, really just providing the court with my backstory and building up to my hobbies and then exercise and fitness. I won't go through my entire testimony, but it was a very intense morning session where we reviewed every single text message and examined my entire timeline and story. It was insanely slow and methodical. I didn't find myself stumbling for answers, and looking at the trial transcript, I answered 99.99% of the questions as I understood them. Lunch came kind of quick, with Judge Lombardo requesting we adjourn at 11.30, and we will reconvene after the lunchtime recess at 1 p.m. I was instructed that I could not speak to anyone during that time, and if I did speak to anyone, I could not mention this case at all. It was a very cold day outside. I decided to spend my lunch listening to music in the car and studying my notes. I wasn't hungry, barely had any appetite, but I knew I had to eat something to keep my brain nourished and functioning. I remember opening the cooler bag my wife had prepared for me. As I'm moving the items around, I noticed on the napkin she wrote me a very special message. It said, I am so proud of you, lover. You are a great husband and father. You've got this. Let me tell you, reading that during this break just brought me to tears. It still does. My wife has been known to do that. She always goes that extra mile to sneak in a little piece of encouragement. I can tell you those little messages really do go a long way. We regroup after a very long lunchtime break. 
Before the break, the prosecution hadn't gotten as far as they had hoped. By the 11.30 break, we had just gotten through the hundreds of text messages. After lunch, they would introduce the successful overhear into evidence, and that conversation would be played aloud through the courtroom speakers. Just before that audio came on, Kevin introduced into evidence 40-plus pictures that had been taken that day, August 21st of 2018. These photos were taken by the Lake County sheriffs that zoomed in from more than 100 yards away to capture still photos of the interaction between Ricky Dugo and I. It was awesome. Kevin would ask me if the photos were a valid and truthful representation of what had happened that day. I said yes. When the audio over here was played out, I focused my eyes towards Ricky Dugo. I wanted to make eye contact with him so I could look straight through him, but he never once looked at me during this entire trial. His gaze was anywhere but at me. I was living in the moment with every word spoke in that overhear. I felt like David slaughtering a Goliath. It was impossible to refute his own words, to hear him threaten me time and time again, to the point where he says he has my money and he will have to do some quality control and reverse the objects back to me. There was no way anyone in that courtroom that heard that over here could dispute that Rick indeed had my money. At about 2 p.m., the prosecution was done with their line of questioning. The judge asked that we take a 15-minute recess and reconvene back in the court at 2.15 p.m. for the defense's cross-examination. It was like the longest wait ever, and everything I had gone through over that past four and a half years would hinge on me keeping myself together as Dugo's attorneys were going to try to tear me down and make me out to be the villain. I wasn't having any of that. Oh, how I loathed the big, bad, high-power attorney from the city. He was a fierce competitor, and in the courtroom, he commanded respect and proved to be a very strong adversary. Dugo's defense was insanely basic, and one I had already studied and was well prepared for. This was a business deal that went bad. It wasn't a crime when a person loses money in a bad business deal. In fact, according to the defense, I should have allowed Ricky Dugo more time to pay me back before I went to the police. 
He pressed me, asking if I had a signed contract. No, sir, I did not. He pressed me and asked me if Ricky Dugo went into my pockets and physically stole my money out of them. No, sir, he did not. There was a time this big bad attorney asked me a question, and I said I would have to reference my notes. That sent him into a tizzy. In the most theatrical scene, this side of Broadway, he starts yelling at me, Notes? Notes? You have notes? Your Honor, please direct this witness to not touch these notes, to preserve them. And I am going to ask Mr. Prosecutor if we can get a copy of these notes from this witness. I was instructed by Judge Lombardo to not destroy my notes and to make copies and tender those to the prosecution and they would send them to the defense. Now, that was totally perfect as my notes, these notes, the Dugo file notes were very detailed and thorough. They were the very detailed and thorough Dugo file I had kept in my red file folder insanely detailed, not only with my timeline, but a master list of the hundred plus victims I had talked to with names and dates and contact information and all of the crimes Ricky Dugo allegedly committed. For sure, please, please, sir, enter these into evidence, my good sir. There were a few times him and I clashed and I was asked by the judge to answer yes or no to the questions and not to give explanations unless I was asked. It was a very harsh battle of two completely stubborn people and being under cross-examination by one of the best litigators in this country left me feeling sick to my stomach by the end of it. I felt like a wounded dog. He knew exactly how to wear me down. But I was prepared for that, and no matter how hard he tried to take me down to Dugo's level, I stayed true to myself, and like a phoenix rises from the ashes, I soared on that day. I didn't falter. I didn't crack under pressure. I harnessed all of the victim stories and turned their wrongs into rights. Thank you for listening to part one of the final episode of Adam's Story. Stay tuned for part two of A Menace to Everyone You Meet, when there's a delay from the time Adam testifies to when the trial resumes in February of 2023. If you're captivated by this story, please tell your friends and family about it and help us spread the word. Knowledge is power, and we have an opportunity to protect additional people from falling prey to the Ricky Dugos of this world.